Computing Broadcast a fascinating round in three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fascinating Nouns. Now, if you are listening to this transmission, we are still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now, together we arrive at this curious nexus point, and we will explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, plus all the spaces in between. I am your host, Daniel J. Glenn. I love paranormal topics and fringe ideas. That should come as no surprise to anyone who's paid attention to the highly produced intro. Now, while I will entertain a lot of these topics, and I do find them interesting, the key is really being able to change my paradigm, being able to shift the way that I think. And there's a short list of people who I deem credible enough and who have enough evidence and enough of a background to really change the way that I think. And the guys that I'm talking to today fall onto that short list. And as a matter of fact, I'm honored to have them on the show because I don't believe that they've done lots of interviews. What these guys do, what they bring is so unique and so credible to paranormal topics that I think once people hear about this, uh, it should break this wide open. And I'm talking about, they call themselves the Paranormal Rangers, John Dover and Stan Milford. Uh, these are two federally tra trained law enforcement agents on the Navajo Nation who go out and are assigned paranormal-esque topics and they analyze them with the scrutiny of a homicide case, essentially. So you could have anything from a Bigfoot sighting that they go out and they'll measure everything, they'll talk to people, and they really analyze it like a true case. They take everything extraordinarily seriously, and they've come away with just mind-boggling evidence uh, from guys who are just looking to solve a case. They're not trying to really prove a point. They don't have anything, any stakes involved in the outcome of the case other than they want to solve it. And I think that that is what makes them absolutely unique and extraordinarily credible. And the conclusions that they come to are nothing less than captivating. So let's get right into this. So you are a retired lieutenant. That's that's officially what your title is? Yeah. What do you, uh, like, what do you like to be called? Do you like to be called lieutenant or do you like to be called uh, LRD for lieutenant... Uh, <laughs> Uh, wait, no, well, that's not right. Lieutenant Ranger, right? Lieutenant Ranger, LRD. Yeah, it would be Ranger Lieutenant. Big do big Doe for Big Dover? Nothing <laughs> like that? Yeah, just John is just fine. Just John? Okay, that's boring. But we'll go with it. Um, so tell me a little bit about w your background, because I think that that's very important um, in how you got involved in what we're about to talk about. Okay, well, we'll start out with my name, Jonathan Redbird. Dover, that's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, uh, Redbird, and then Dover, D-O-V-E-R. Well, why didn't you spell Redbird? R-E-D-B-I-R-D. -E -R you spent your first name and your last name, but not Redbird. I'm just curious why. <laughs> I figured it was something That was enough. easy enough? Okay. It was easy enough. <laughs> all right, that's all right. All right, go ahead. And um, so I'm, I'm Native American. Uh, within the Native Americans, you will find out that uh, they identify themselves by tribe, uh, by clans, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, Native American-wise, I'm uh, uh, part Navajo, I'm part Southern Cheyenne, and I'm part uh, what they call now Apache tribe, Oklahoma. 
Oh, wow. Which uh, before they used to call uh, Kawa Apache. Can I ask you a couple of, actually, since you're saying that, can I ask you a couple of native questions that have been racking around in my head? And I think you got the answers. Sure. So you like Native American. Like that as a, as a term. Here's why, here's why I ask, because I, w- I, I refuse to call people Native American because it feels like people came here and named it America and then call the people who were here already after the country that they named it after. I would say like the indigenous peoples or like, I don't know, what, what, what do you like? I'm well, really curious. Native American describes somebody who uh, originated here yeah. in the Americas. Um, the original name given to, to Native Americans was Indians because when Columbus showed up, he was looking for a uh, shortcut uh, to India to get spices. And so he named the people Indians because he thought he was in India. Now, I heard a different story about that. I heard that uh, it was a Spanish explorer who came here before Columbus, um, or, or was right after Columbus. I forget the exact time frame, but he named Indios, means the people of God. And that is actually how it came. Not because he mistook it for India, but uh-huh. because he, there was the first people that non-Europeans he came across. And so he believed that they were the people of God. So Indios, Indians. Well, uh, either way, it happened. Um, we, <laughs> it did. You it know, did we're, happen. We're still true. upset at the Eastern tribes because they let Homeland Security off and immigration off that day for a celebration. <laughs> yeah. And uh, look what came in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. I totally agree. Um, well, so now you. So you were. Um, you were a ranger in the Navajo Nation. Yes. Correct. So a couple questions about that. First of all, I got to ask you this one. We're going to go off topic Will you, just for a couple minutes, okay? This is another t- thing that's been bracketing around in my brain. So I recently spent some time like in the Four Corners area, north of, uh, like the, I guess that's the northern part, the Utah part of Navajo Nation. Yes. Okay. What is going on with all the stray dogs on the reservations? Is that, what's happening here? The, uh, unfortunately, uh, dogs reproduce. Uh, you know, and fair enough. We've got there's more to it than that, John. Well, the in the old days, uh, you had a lot of sheep, and you would have sheep dogs, and so mm. the sheep dogs, uh, even even my family uh, on the reservation would have, you know, four or five sheep dogs to help mm. with herding the sheep. Uh, today, it's just gone out of control. And we don't have any method of, of uh, I mean, there's so many of them. It's, it's insane. Just crazy. It, no, it's bananas. I, I've never, and I'm the kind of, per, I, I'm, you know, I'm along with uh, producer Sarah, she and I are two people I know who are crazy about stray animals. And right. going there, I mean, I, I found a dog that was left at a gas station and drove it from Four Corners to Phoenix to give to my mom. <laughs> like, so it's a 12-hour driving day. I'm bananas, John, is what I'm saying. But I just was blown away because everywhere you look, there's stray dogs. I didn't want to stop at a gas station because I thought I was going to have to, like, solve a problem again. So I was right. wondering why, it's, but I'm, it was just on the, the, the reservation. I just had no idea. Yeah, the, uh, we have maybe one or two veterinarians that work on the reservation uh, for the tribe. and uh, Total? Total. Oh, wow for 27,000 square miles of land. Um, And then there are private clinics, but then you have to, if you want to get your dog spayed or neutered, uh, you have to take it off reservation and pay. And uh, most Navajos can't afford that. 
That is bananas because in L.A., and we'll get off this topic. I know we got more important things to talk about. But in L.A., there are lots of people who offer spay and neuter, free spay and neuter clinics for this exact reason. Los Angeles is the same way. A lot of people, there's tons of, I mean, pit bulls and chihuahuas breed like rabbits, and they're everywhere. But they have lots of spay and neuter clinics. I'm surprised there isn't a rescue that either um, started in the reservation or has come in to help out um, because it is out of control there. They, they do have uh, mobile clinics that come onto the reservation. But for a lot of people, you have to understand that they're traveling uh, 50 to 100 miles one direction yeah. just to get to these places. Yeah, yeah. So. No, because it's a very, it's a wide expanse. It's a huge. Which brings me to my second question. Is the, is the Navajo Nation considered a sovereign nation? Yes, it is. Okay, so it's its own. So you guys have all of your own, um, basically, infrastructure. Right. The U.S. government deals with us on a State Department level. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we have our own uh, system of government, uh, our own police, uh, pretty much everything, our own utility companies. So it's just like going to a whole different country. Wow. Except we don't have passports. Right. I was going to say you don't have to get a passport to go through. Um, so how does that affect your law enforcement work uh, when people would come in from the states? Can you, can you hold them? Is it like Mexico where you can kind of hold them indefinitely? Or is it a little more friendly? Well, for, for my department, uh, the Navajo Rangers, uh, they go through training at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Mm. And uh, along with uh, ATF, um, Bureau of Indian Affairs officers, uh, you know, a lot of other federal agencies, including Border Patrol. Mm. Uh, so uh, they're, they're trained up there mm -hmm. as police officers first, and then they go into their different specialty fields or investigations. Right. And so that's kind of where you went because you have, so you, um, you teach, you teach SWAT, correct? And you teach firearms. And, and so that's like, what, that's your background um, from the federal level, right? Yes. Wow. Yes. So now how did, um, now how did that kind of, because you, what I love about your background and what makes you and stand so credible is that you have such a solid law enforcement background and, and the types of cases you've been assigned are not typically considered, wouldn't typically be um, investigated by law enforcement to the scrutiny that you guys put on it. Um, that's what I find really interesting because you guys handle a lot of the paranormal cases, for lack of a better term, or did when you were active, correct? Yeah, that, that is correct. Um, personally, I have uh, 4,000 hours of training. A uh, little over that. Uh, I've been to the uh, Glencoe uh, Criminal Investigation School. Now, uh, not, not Glencoe Productions who makes this show. This is a different Glencoe, correct? Yeah, this okay. is the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. Very different, very different uh, industries. Go on, please. And um, so, you know, well-trained um, in a whole variety of different things. I was a specialist in uh, mountain rescue and technical rescue. Oh, wow. I was a specialist in archaeological crimes. Uh, we did, uh, we had our own SWAT team. Um, just, just on and on and on, you know, the different things we've done. I've investigated homicides, child molestations, rapes, um, you know, you name it. I've, wow. I've probably done it. You've done it all. So for mountain rescue, that I mean that's really interesting. And, and archaeological is that because of a lot of the archaeological sites that exist on the Navajo Nation, and I guess in all the United States. In just the Navajo Nation, we know we've got 
uh, over 300,000 archaeological sites that are recorded. Wow. Uh, there's probably another two and a half to three million sites that we don't know about. Wow, that's so, insane. Yeah, some site densities are up to 28 sites per square mile. Wow, so that is actually, I would imagine, because I've never heard of that before, but it seems extraordinarily important, but I imagine that that is a very specialized skill. Yeah, it is. Uh, you have to have the skills of a forensic homicide investigator to do some of those cases. Plus the Indiana Jones background in a way, kind of. Yeah, it's a lot of, uh, we call it skullduggery. Right. Um, but uh, <laughs> sure. it, it, uh, it takes a lot. You have to uh, get educated on archaeology itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. So how did you kind of, uh, how did this whole paranormal investigation, how did that come about? Because I, I, what I love about it is it kind of only exists to, I mean, maybe the federal government does this and doesn't tell people like the X-Files and they have a secret, you know, group of people who does it. But you guys are more open. Um, I wonder why did it take a separate nation to kind of really start analyzing some of this stuff with the scrutiny you guys are? Well, it uh, actually started with two uh, rookie rangers. Always does. And uh, they were sent up into the Carrizo Mountains to handle a Bigfoot case. In this case, uh, uh, Grandma and Grandpa pretty much saw a Bigfoot step over their corral fence, grab a sheep, put it under its arm, step back over the fence, and walk off with it. So they reported it to the Rangers Department. Uh, these two officers were dispatched. Uh, they went out there and... You have to understand that these two officers, they're, they're jokers. I mean, they, they laugh all the time. They're, they're telling each other jokes. They're, they're just, you know, goofy guys. And so they were out there uh, sitting in the front of their truck after they interviewed these guys. And they were, you know, doing what they usually do, which is, you know, telling each other stories and laughing sure, yeah. and joking around. And, and Grandma and Grandpa saw this. Mm. and thought they were laughing at them. They kind of were. Yeah. A little bit. So they called our director and pretty much chewed him out over the phone. So our director immediately called everybody in, department meeting, and uh, basically told everybody, from now on, you guys are going to investigate these cases. You're going to treat them uh, seriously. You're going to treat them professionally. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to do the investigation, and you're going to write a report at the end and document it. And then he turned to me and Stan and said, you guys are in charge, special projects is in charge of this uh, deal, so you guys are going to get the major cases and, and you know, the ones that, are, that have a little more something to them. Mm -hmm. And you're going to investigate them thoroughly and and uh, in the same manner. And so you guys kind of do it like a homicide case, right? I mean, you go into depth and document everything, pictures and all that, right? Oh, sure, sure. We're, uh, our main goal is to look for evidence, uh, physical evidence. And a lot of times uh, in criminal investigations, you don't go into a case with a preconceived idea as to what happened. Mm -hmm. You look at the evidence that's presented to you and then you make a determination of what happened based on the evidence. Right. And then you see if your statements match with what the evidence is showing you. Mm -hmm. 
So just like a, an ac- technical accident investigation, you're looking at skid marks, you're looking at right. uh, speed factors, uh, drag factors, you're looking at uh, the impact, know, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Right, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Now, we, how come you guys were assigned to this? Uh, because I was the department's only criminal investigator. And Stan was also trained at Federal Law Enforcement Training Center for, for investigations during his basic academy. Okay. And both of us were uh, both real solid as far as the cases that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. And we were already working in uh, special projects. So we would get the, uh, the major cases. We would get the um, executive protection details for, for like mm-hmm. people that are coming onto the reservation that mm-hmm. we had to guard. We would do the uh, just everything that that the regular ranger didn't have time to do. So, did yeah. you guys have an interest in these types of stories or anything like that, or is it just you guys just happen to be the most qualified people? On we call? at the time we happened to be the most qualified people. Got it. Although I think uh, in the background there there always is interest. Sure. Yeah. Well, I imagine part of the cool thing about the approach that you guys have, which is different, is because you guys have such a different traditional background and you can look at it from a completely different angle with different stories with oral traditions. Does that kind of play into it a little bit? Uh, yeah. Both both Stan and I didn't grow up on the reservation. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why we were effective. Mm. Um for most officers, they, they are steeped in Navajo tradition, mm-hmm. which tells you to stay away from things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and mm. so they, they have a real aversion to getting involved in those kind of cases. Uh, for us, I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, Stan mm-hmm. grew up in uh, Oklahoma mm-hmm. over in Tahlequah. And uh, so, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time out here except maybe, maybe during the summers. Hmm. So we had to study and bring ourselves up because uh, Navajo Rangers are pretty much the keepers of tradition on the reservation, the the keepers of historic things and and the keepers of archaeological things. And so we had to literally study um, all the facets of of what Navajos look at. And... um, but we didn't have the aversion to investigate those kind of cases. Hmm. That's really interesting. I don't think I realized that. So you guys had to become kind of an expert in the traditions um, yes. to, to kind of have the job. So you're kind of in both worlds, which does kind of make you perfectly qualified, both of you guys, to kind of investigate these types of things. That's right. Wow. So what was the first case that you guys kind of stumbled across that kind of was not exactly the norm? Our first case that uh, was assigned was a uh, major Bigfoot sighting up in the Bloomfield area in New Mexico. Uh, This is along the San Juan River. We had uh, reports of at least 30 witnesses that had seen Bigfoot in that area. Uh, These witnesses all went as as a group uh, to the police, local police department there. And the lieutenant... Uh, for the police department, put in the newspaper, I wonder how much these people have had to drink. <laughs> right. So everybody... Not taking it seriously, obviously. Right. Um, which is a, a, a normal response, actually. Sure. And, There's 30 uh, people, though. That's a lot. It's not one or two. 
I mean, right. that, I mean, because to me, when I would look at that, I'm kind of an open-minded skeptic. So you know, I agree with you. But 30 people is quite a. That's a lot. That's of, that's a huge number. Yeah. And uh, what happens is uh, they they were, of course, upset at the police department, mm. and they called us, and they said uh, we need somebody to come out here because the whole community is is scared. So we went out there and we started investigating. We ended up spending three days and two nights. Wow. Uh, at night, we had uh, uh, night vision equipment. We had thermal equipment. Uh, during the day, we were wow. tracking. This is, uh, you guys really went like in deep. That's crazy. And I believe we had about six rangers assigned to uh, interview the different people and get the stories. Wow. And, uh, you know, we had people that had seen this thing. Uh, one little kid uh, was told uh, they, they heard this thumping sound down in their garden. And uh, the garden was right near the river. Uh, the house is sitting about 50, 50 yards you know, up the slope. Mm-hmm. And uh, they told him to get his BB gun and go down and chase the horses out of the field. Uh, kid goes running down the, the deal all excited because he gets to shoot the BB gun. <laughs> yeah. And just about runs into Bigfoot. He says he's standing there looking up at this thing. He says it's got hair all over it, and it smells like a wet dog. Yeah. And he dropped his BB gun, turned around, ran right back up the hill. So, you know, we've had uh, a lot of stories like that, you know, these close encounters. Right. Uh, We got into this. uh, We found footprints. We did plaster casting. Um we found hair samples. Uh, hair samples got sent off to the to the labs for DNA analysis. Mm. Uh, what came back was uh, unknown carnivore. Hmm. How can they tell it's a carnivore? Uh, I have no idea. You know, uh, I, I didn't talk to the lab myself. Right. But that's what why it came not. Back. Well, you didn't want to be on the phone with them. I would have been calling me directly on my cell phone. I want to know what's going on. Yeah, it didn't come. Didn't to Didn't work like that. Oh, <laughs> didn't work like that. Yeah. Uh, so what? So with the so let's talk about the original the original case. This is this is kind of interesting. So is so first of all is is Bigfoot seen pretty often in that area? Bigfoot is seen all over our reservation. And uh, what is do they call? Because is it Sasquatch? I mean, because really Bigfoot is when I, I grew up. Bigfoot is kind of the term when people believe that there's one Bigfoot. But I think kind of people who Bigfoot's always been one of those things that I've kind of been on the fence about. But I, but most people think of it as like um, a group, so like Sasquatch or like Yeti or some kind of name for an animal. Um, are, are they seen a lot in groups or how is they're this? they're seen in pairs? Yeah, and they are seen often. Really? And the descriptions that we have of them, some have red hair, some have uh, dark brown hair, some have streaks, you mm. know, that are that are pretty uh, clear. Mm. Uh, that would um, just like just like your dog or cat having spots, you mm. know, you could identify it. Right. Um, so there's enough reports from uh, from people like USDA f- workers, from nurses. Yeah. That, that the thing ran in front of them across the road, you know, yeah. um, over and over and over again uh, across the entire reservation, we've had cases involving Bigfoot. Wow. And one of the things that's always been interesting to me that kind of overlaps all Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti sightings, skunk ape, whatever you want to call it, is the smell. People, I mean, people always describe this very intense 
smell that is yeah. always around them. Right, almost an overpowering smell. Yeah, yeah. So now, have you, have either you or Stan personally um, encountered any of this stuff, or are you guys just investigating it after the fact? Uh, Stan was uh, in a situation where he was doing a Bigfoot investigation. Uh, some rocks came flying through the pine trees and landed about 15 feet away from him. Um, they later determined that the rocks were being thrown from 300 yards down the slope. Wow, 300 yards? Right. And some Get of these, him into the NFL. Some of these rocks weighed about 10 pounds, 15 pounds. So you're talking about something wow. really, really big yeah. that was chucking these things. Or a powerful and, machine, but that would, I mean... Yeah, he said you could hear the, the branches snapping in the pine trees from these things coming wow. through. Wow, wow. That's crazy. Um, so what was the outcome of that original case? So what did, did you guys just documented? Anything come out of that, like physical we, evidence? Anything? We, we documented all the physical evidence. Uh, we got stride distances. We tracked until we couldn't track anymore. Uh, in some cases, the, the tracks went into the tamaracks, uh, and the tamaracks are so thick in there that you're on your hands and knees basically crawling through, you know, little uh, what amounts to rabbit holes. Right. Um, Literally and metaphorically, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. And, um, oh. But it, it, it was an amazing case. Um, so the we first even, one right out of the bat. Just yeah, we even, we even had a bog area where this thing had picked up uh, a real heavy log. Uh, log was about 30 feet long, um, maybe about 24 inches across, uh, completely soaked. Hmm. And it just picked it up out of the bog. It was half buried in wow. the mud and threw it aside. Wow. Right? Like, like it was a matchstick. Pulling anything out of a bog that's, I mean, submerged is next to impossible. Right. And I'm pretty strong and I can't do it. Right. But I'm no Bigfoot. So, um, and think. then the, the Bigfoot researcher that was with our group, we had brought an expert in, uh, basically told us that it was looking for grubs huh. or something to eat. Oh, it would appear that that's what they were looking for. Oh, yeah. that's really interesting. Wow, they eat grubs. Huh. That's, I've never heard that before. That's fascinating. So that was, so you've had a lot of really interesting experiences with Bigfoot. And it's one of the things that I've always found, um, to, I'm most skeptical on it, but some of the stories are just... Uh, they're fascinating and they're intriguing and well, Bigfoot, a lot of good evidence. Bigfoot actually goes back to the uh, early 1800s uh, with Navajos. There are um, the medicine men have told us that there are historical stories, and in uh, Navajo tradition, uh, we have an oral tradition. So you know, when when people first came across with this idea of manifest destiny that uh, you know they said that the native americans were savages mm. because they didn't have a written language but you have to understand that the oral language the the oral history that that the medicine men talk about these stories are told exactly there are no embellishments they don't add on to or take away they don't try to make it any more exciting um, when you talk to some of the old Navajo people and they tell you something, they are being very, very detailed hmm. about every facet of it. And in, the, in one of our investigations, uh, we interviewed an old man over four years, three different times, both, all of them recorded. Hmm. 
And I mean, over the course of four years? You over went, the course okay. of four years, we did three interviews with him. Uh-huh. And each interview was exactly like the one before. There, really? There were no additions. There were nothing left out. Huh. And just matter-of-factly. Wow. That's so in the same story, just told. That's, that's the exact same story. Wow. Well, and it's funny you mentioned Manifest Destiny because that's the subject of one of a, of a previous episode about the Donner Party, which ends in tragedy, obviously. Um, but that was a really, I mean, that's a very interesting concept that did kind of destroy a lot of these stories. But it is, it is you know, I can't tell a story to save my life, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, so it's, it's amazing to hear that there is this skill where you can tell for hundreds of thousands of years even the same story in the exact same way. For me, when I hear that, and I, I, I kind of put my eyebrow up like, I don't know if that's even possible because I can't do it. But if it is possible, that would mean that the stories you're hearing today are pretty accurate then by what you're saying. That is correct. Um, medicine men today are taught how to do, uh, say, one ceremony, uh, enemy way ceremony. And they might have over three nights, 200 songs that they have memorized each song has to be done exactly. Hmm. If the song isn't done exactly correct or if it's done out of sequence, it negates the whole ceremony. Hmm. So these medicine men have to know exactly how to do something correct. Right. And people will know if they do something incorrect. So, you know, they are taught from a very young age to, to do these things. Well, and what's interesting about that is obviously the stakes are very high because you're talking about these religious ceremonies that are important to get exact. When I'm telling a story to friends, there's not the stakes aren't very high if I get something wrong or I embellish it. Right. So that's probably obviously where the skill comes in. Um, let's talk, since we're talking about Navajo tradition and stories, one of the things, and I remember hearing about this because this is something I don't know a lot about, um, but you guys mention it, and also uh, there's a, a great book written about Skinwalker Ranch and Skinwalkers in general. I didn't know much about them. I'm still a little confused, um, but tell me, tell me a little bit about the Navajo tradition and kind of what you've encountered or investigated. Okay, one of the types of cases that we, we had four cases that we worked on. Uh, we had Bigfoot cases. We had uh, haunting cases. Oh, I don't want to stop because one of the cool – this is just really funny. Sorry to interrupt. Um, before you guys started, Bigfoot cases were called wild animal disturbances. Is that right? Something yeah, like we that. classified <laughs> them as wild animal calls. And where did you put all the files for all that? Uh, there's a funny story about where you guys kept all the files. The, the files are actually electronic files. Oh, they and weren't like real like Manila like you see in the movies? No, and stuff. Okay. no. These are electronic files. And they, we didn't want to change the uh, file status uh-huh. uh, from what we already had, right. the, the numbering system, uh, because it would look kind of odd, you know, Bigfoot you know, yeah, case, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. UFO case. So we included them as best we could. Uh, in as, the current system? In right. the current system. <laughs> and so they're, they're really these innocuous type of cases. But on top of that, we, were, we locked them down. Oh, so no one else could access. so nobody has access to them except the director. Wow. So what were the so what were the let's talk about what cases you investigated and then what you called them in this system. Okay, so uh, the the cases were called a whole variety of things just depending on you know what you maybe there was an aspect of the case that that uh, that lend itself to that 
that deal. Sure. But uh, we handled uh, Bigfoot cases. We handled haunting cases, uh, things that went bump in the night, uh, sure. you know, um, ghosts and, and specters. Uh, we also handled UFO cases. And then we uh, handled uh, traditional, uh, what they call Navajo witchcraft or skinwalker cases. Okay. Just Navajo witchcraft in general, which included like a subdivision of skinwalkers? Or was no, it mostly no, skinwalkers? No, this is, it's known by both terms. Okay. So those are what, and so what did you call, so what did you call like UFO cases in your files? Oh, they. Just ran, just depending on the, the yeah, case it, itself. Yeah, it, it could have been just, you know, like uh, assistance given to, to the public. Okay. Uh, you know, because that's that's what we were doing. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me about skinwalkers and Navajo witchcraft. Okay, uh, the terms are synonymous, um, and and hopefully this comes out because we have had, we did a radio interview with a station back in Maine. As soon as we started talking about this subject, everything went to static. Uh, I'll, keep, and, I'll keep an eye on the equipment while we're doing and, this. And then as soon as we got done, it popped back up on the air again Wow! On, during a live broadcast. Now, you're not embellishing. So, you're telling the story exactly as— That's correct. Okay, because you do have a Navajo history. You need to do that properly, everything that's, in order. Okay, that's no embellishment. Right. All right. Well, I'm keeping that. So, we're good so far. So um, the Navajo Skinwalker has uh, been around ever since, you know, time— when, when, you know, the Navajos uh, uh, were here. So they've always been here. Huh. Uh, my grandfather was uh, taught as a very young, young boy, maybe about 10 years old, to be a medicine man. Hmm. Uh, later on in his young life, he, uh, he, he became a Christian. And uh, he ended up becoming a preacher. And so he was with the Christian Reformed Church. Huh. He told me that as a medicine man, you learn not only the, the good healing arts, but you learn everything that has to do with witchcraft because you have to know what the curse was in order to correct it. Okay. So you had to have that knowledge. Uh, the Navajo Skinwalker is somebody who uh, in some cases is a medicine man, has been trained. Uh, in some cases, they may know enough about it to, uh, to gain that kind of power. And in some cases, these are kids that only learn how to change shape. And uh, it, it's kind of like lycanthropy where, mm. where you get uh, shape changing. Mm-hmm. But in the case of the skinwalker, uh, they can change into just about anything that they have the hide to. So they can change into birds, into owls, into crows. Uh, they can change themselves into coyotes, into wolves, uh, even into deer. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this isn't something Harry Potter kind of stuff, you know, where you have a patron. Sounds exactly like this it. Is, <laughs> this is an um, actual physical change. Right, right, right. Um, like a polyjuice potion. I've been told that uh, when this change occurs, the person actually turns into that animal and they uh, can travel great distances uh, over a short period of time. Hmm. So, you know, for most Navajos, they will not even talk about this subject. Uh, it's, it's very taboo. 
very little is written on it. Um, there are some that say, well, you know, the, the, in the old days they used it to uh, change into animals and spy on the enemy. But as far as we know, today and as far back as the 1920s and the 1930s, um, this was a plague on the reservation, and uh, these witches were rounded up occasionally, hunted down, rounded up, and killed. Well, it sounds like sounds like a Salem witch yeah, trials. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. yeah, it sounds pretty similar. But uh, these were known people at the time. Uh, as near as we know from tradition, uh, in order to gain this kind of power, uh, the person must sacrifice somebody that's very close to them in their own family to gain this kind of power. Huh. And we've seen that happen uh, quite often in the past. Really? Yeah, yeah. Now, when you talk about, when you compare it to the Salem witch trials, obviously they believed that they were witches. And for on most accounts, although there is one really, inter- there's a lot of interesting research now that would say that some of them may have practiced witchcraft. But for the most part, people believe that they weren't. But it, when people were, when the Navajo were rounding up skinwalkers, they believed that they were skinwalkers. Is there any proof that they really were? Or is it similar, uh, I, like you know, similar mass delusion or whatever? Well, paranoia kind of thing. There, I'm sure some of it was paranoia, some of it was delusion. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, uh, these things, you know, they they would go in there, they would find artifacts that were used in these uh, ceremonies that couldn't have come from anywhere else. Right. And um, so there, there was evidence. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the seven major crimes on the reservation was uh, practicing Navajo witchcraft uh, under federal law. Huh. And that was on the books up to about 1998 when wow. it was finally taken off. Uh, the Navajo court systems also uh, have cases involving uh, witchcraft. So they've uh, the courts themselves, the, the traditional courts, have... have uh, verified that there is Navajo witchcraft on the reservation. Wow. At least people practicing it. Yeah. Um, and so when you when you were doing, because there's one great story while I was looking at a lot of the stuff you guys were talking about, there's one great story where some was there's a coyote, uh, basically, I think he's in the chicken coop, essentially. Like he's, ru- he's messing with the livestock. Um, the owner uh, comes out, shoots him in the butt. He jumps into a, a bush, and the owner goes down to pull him out, does this sound familiar? Does this yeah. Sound familiar? yeah. Can you, so you can tell the story better than I can. Well, the, the guy came home with his wife. And as they drive in, they see the uh, sheep corral. Uh. And they see the coyote trying to get in the, with their sheep. So is This is why I can't tell stories. I said chickens. Obviously, the yeah. detailed sheep. So <laughs> so he grabs his uh, twenty two rifle, which, which is probably in the truck, uh, goes over there and shoots it and hits it in the flank. So this thing starts dragging itself just with its front feet, and it's dragging its hind legs behind it, uh, goes into the tumbleweeds, and, but its rear legs are still sticking out. So he goes over there, and he's holding the rifle in, in his right hand, and he reaches over with his left, grabs the hind leg, and starts dragging it out so he can finish it off. As he's dragging this thing out, this this animal leg turned into a human leg right in his hand. And he looked down and he saw that this thing was painted, uh, all this uh, white paint all over it, kind of like you would take a a sponge and just dab it all over yourself. And uh, even the hair 
the, the man was skinny. He had long hair. Um, the paint was dried and cracking everywhere he, he moved. Hmm. So it, it, it just looked, looked like uh, something really strange. Yeah. Um, he dropped the leg. He looks at his wife and he says, what do I do now? Uh, do we kill it? You know, do we, it's a human now. Yeah. It's a human. Do do we, do we call somebody, you know, what do we do? And so they ended up calling uh, the police department and an ambulance. Uh, the police department showed up, they took one look at it and they knew what it was. And the officers basically said, we don't want anything to do with this. But that's their job. Well, in that case, I mean, you have to remember, this is a very, very taboo thing. Yeah. And these things... Serve and uh, protect, they, they, man. They can, they can kill people yeah. easily. Yeah. So the, the officers, as, uh, from what we understood, says, we don't want anything to do with this. And, and they backed out of it. But they waited there. And then the ambulance showed up. Ambulance crew was Navajo, too. So is this person unconscious during this whole time? Or? No, I, I think they were just laying there. Um, did they try talking or this is they, they weren't going to have any communication with it at all. They, they, they weren't going to talk to it because to talk to it is to draw attention to yourself and to draw attention to yourself means that, uh, it might know who you are or, you know, uh, might recognize you later and come back. Okay. So this is a very fearful thing that's happening. Um, the ambulance crew just loads it up on the gurney, puts it in the back and hauls it to the hospital. Once they get to the hospital, and we've, we've got this story from a couple of other sources of people that had been there. Uh, they said that this thing was wheeled into the ER. The Navajo staff recognized what it was, and you know they were, they were just very fearful. The uh, Anglo doctors that were there chased everybody out, and they, went, they did emergency surgery on this thing and saved it. So the family had come to us, and they said, what do we do now? We're the ones that shot it. What if it comes back to get revenge? And then they happened to mention that they recognized the guy, that he was from their community. They knew who he was. So the only thing we could tell them is that according to Navajo tradition, if you know who it is and you knock on their door and tell them, you know, I know you're, you're one of these things, that within three days in the traditional sense, they, they will die, physically die. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I've never heard what happened after that. Yeah, because you end that story with that statement, and then you move on very quickly. Well, I was like, we, what happened? Did they talk? Did they go there? What? We, uh, we never did a follow-up with that family. They were happy when they left because they there was some protection afforded to them. And, you know, when they came to us, they, they were scared. Uh, that, that's why they came. I mean, they made the trip in to, to ask us about it. Mm-hmm. And um, afterwards, you know, we just left it alone. We, we don't know what happened, but um, the possibility is, is that they felt that there was some kind of uh, a protective measure that they could take. And so they felt like... Uh, um, they felt better. Mm, okay. And in that sense, we did, you know, what we what we were hoping to do, which is to allay some of their fears. Wow. That's a pretty intense story. 
I mean, that was. Did you have other stories like that? I mean, are there how many Skinwalker stories did you? Earn? Oh, we've we've had tons of them. Um, really, we've had uh, uh, a young. Well, let's see. One of one of the uh, very first rangers um, that we talked to um, was telling us. You know, he was he was recounting things that he remembered from when he was out there back in uh, this uh, 1967, mm. and he was saying that um, in one case, a guy was driving down the road and he sees this uh, greyhound looking really skinny dog running alongside his vehicle. So he speeds up and this thing just stays right with him. He speeded up even more and this thing is still running right alongside his vehicle. Hmm. So he takes a, a rifle and he put the po- pokes it out the window of the driver's side and shoots it. So it's a different world. It's yeah, like because, Wild West. Because you, know, you have to understand that we've had we've had people come to us that said these things can run yeah. 55, 60 miles an hour. Keeping pace with a car, that's pretty yeah. fast. I mean, the cheetah is the fastest land animal at 70 miles an hour. Right. That's one animal. Nothing really comes close to that. So um, in this case, he shot it, gets out of the truck, throws it in the back, what? And this goes, is like a horror movie. I I wouldn't do any of the things that have happened so far. All right, come on. Go, goes home. <laughs> yeah, with the thing in his truck, or in the back of the pickup. Back, back of pickup, right? And uh, <laughs> he goes home and he tells everybody what what he saw, and everybody says, "Well, let me see." And they go out there and they look, and there's a, a young girl wow. laying in the back that shot. Um. So we hear a lot of these these type of stories. Um, so when you said that they can change into anything as long as they have the hide, is that present on the body? Are they all painted? Is there any kind of... They, they carry their hides with them. Um, we've, we've had some discovered, and uh, we have that in our slide presentation. Of, of, the, of, the hides? Yeah. So do those go uh, into evidence? Uh, like, are they... <laughs> yeah. Um, a work crew found, you know, uh, electrical line work crew, uh-huh. uh, found a hide laying out there, you know, under the bushes. Wow. Um, but a lot of them will carry them in a, in a backpack. And uh, we even had one one kid that said that uh, he carried, you know, him and his friends would change shape and go out and terrorize the community just for fun, uh, him, him and his two friends. Um, he used to carry his, he, he told us he carried it, carried it in his backpack. And he'd carry his backpack with him all the time. Uh, one day he went into a church, and he's sitting in the back. And he became a Christian. And so... Just he, like that? Well, you know, I mean, he heard the preaching, and, and you know, just like just like a Pentecostal camp meeting, you know. He uh, got the oh, spirit. Oh, yeah, I know about those, sure. So, yeah, yeah. so at any rate, um, the story is, is that he... Uh, goes home, but he's still got his skin. And his buddies came over that night and says, hey, come on, let's change. Let's go have some fun, you know. So they started all chanting and doing whatever they did, you know, to to make the change and yeah. got their skins out. And the, the, the story that we got is that this kid couldn't change. Hmm. His two buddies did, and they went and disappeared. And he, he says he tried and tried and tried and couldn't change. And so he says, I guess that's what being a Christian is, you know, that, that you lose that power. 
Mm. Um, so then after that, he, he got rid of it and, and turned his back on it. Mm. But um, it, it's, it's almost an anecdotal story. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, but it, it, those things are true. You know, my grandfather showed me Polaroid fo- photographs of uh, animal prints changing into hand prints. Wow. Um, Did you record any of those during your investigations? Uh, I've never found that particular thing happening. Because that's crazy. Although we have tracked out some of the scenes. Uh, in one case, we had a, a woman that had moved back to the reservation after spending all her life, you know, living up in San Francisco and, and uh, Southern Cal. And um, she came back and these uh, offerings were being left on her doorstep, feather bundles and stuff like that. Um, in a traditional sense, they're, uh, like somebody, something's trying to curse her Hmm. and she had been trying to put a hogan together. Uh, again, the windows were gone. The roof needed patching. There was no door. My hogan, that's like a dwelling. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's an octagon, octagon dwelling, Hmm. uh, that's traditional to the Navajos. So she's trying to put this place back together. Uh, she called us, uh, now you have to understand that she's what we classify as an EDP, an emotionally disturbed person. Okay. (laughs) It's a good, I mean, that's a good thing to say at the, at the top. She has spent all her life, uh, pretty much being a street person. Mm. Um, she's had a, literally a shopping bag full of drugs that she was taking. Um. So, you know, medicinal we had, or recreational? No, medicinal. Okay. All, wow. all, all prescription meds. And uh, so she had some real serious issues. She had called the local police department and they said, we don't handle those. She had called the sheriff's department. No, we don't handle those. She had called Navajo police. No, we don't handle that. Uh, she had called state police and the same thing. Hmm. So she called our department. So no one would handle the fact that someone was harassing her. Right. So they called our department, and uh, me and Stan went over there. Right away we established that that she had an EDP background. And uh, so we said, well, you know, let's handle the investigation anyway. Uh, We did look through her her, uh, prescription meds and found out, you know, all the different things she was taking. So we got a pretty good idea. Of, of the different uh, medications that she was on. Because that's one of the things you take into consideration when looking at a case, because anything can, you know, if you're messing with someone's brain chemistry, they can say or see anything in we, a lot of ways. We will ask, uh, do you take recreational drugs? Uh, have you drank alcohol? Have you taken prescription medication? Uh, just to get an idea, it's, it's a normal part of the investigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this case, uh, we did determine that she was uh, taking some pretty heavy drugs uh, that were prescription. So with that in mind, we went into this investigation and we did determine that there were these uh, little feather bundles that were being left. And that uh, we determined that there were at least six sets of foot tracks. And we tracked them out, followed these prints, and we followed them down this little trail. What we determined was that these were the local drunks in, mm. in the town okay. uh, that would use her place as a crash pad 
they they would use it to get in out of the weather, out of the cold, before she or moved out of there. the rain. Yeah, before she came right. back. Okay. There was no door. There was no windows. Just roof. They're like squatting there. I got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that that was their crash pad, and what happened is she showed up. She, she her mother had died, so she inherited the place. She puts a door on it. She starts putting windows on it. She's fixing the roof, and they decided. We need to scare her mm. and get her to leave. She's Navajo. She knows about Navajo traditions, so let's let's act like we're skinwalkers. Got it. Okay. And so once wow. we determined that, we went to her and we told her, you have nothing to worry about. These are just the local drunks. And um, we we left her with that information. So we we left. We didn't think anything more of it. We wrote our report up. Mm-hmm. Put it in as a assistance to citizen. Mm-hmm. A month later, she called our department, and she told our dispatcher that uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. She says nobody else would believe me, nobody mm-hmm. else would help. She says your officers came. She was in tears. She says your officers came and helped me, and now my house is fixed up, and I'm living there, and I'm happy. Wow. And that was that was a case that didn't have any kind of paranormal aspect at all. Right. It, it's strange to me. I mean, in some ways, the belief in a lot of these traditions stops because you guys work at a level that's not not the local level. You're at the basically the state level. Um, but a lot of the belief in these traditions is what caused several layers of law enforcement to not help this woman. Right. I Whether- mean, that's disappointing. Whether it's just an easy thing to do or whether they looked at her and said, oh, she's obviously an EDP, you know, she's crazy. Yeah. We don't want nothing to do with her. Yeah. Um, she's still being harassed. What's going on on the reservation? No one's helping this poor woman. That's crazy to me. Right. Wow. Well, I mean, it, it is interesting that people use, I mean, this is how kind of, I mean, this is how widespread the belief in skinwalkers is, is that people use the the skinwalker lore in order to scare other people because this is a, a very close-kept belief. Right, and nobody's going to talk about it. Right. Um, I had a, a, a grandfather that had shot uh, a coyote trying to get into the, the corral uh, down in, in Sheep Springs area. Uh, later on, uh, three days later, an old man up on the mountain died. Hmm. And uh, they, he was long suspected of being a skinwalker so my grandfather uh at the time he was young went to town this is back during in the 60s uh went to went to Gallup and started bragging to everybody you know i killed a skinwalker i shot one and uh pretty soon he his mind became unhinged wow and they said that he was you know something cursed him Huh. Because uh, last we heard, he was chasing my cousins around with an axe, uh, trying to trying to kill them. <laughs> yes, definitely um, unhinged. He was wow. he was put in a uh, in a psychiatric care home up in Farmington, and a year later he died. Wow! How deep was the decline? How steep was the decline from shooting the skinwalker to being in a psychiatric? It was within a year. Wow. That's and, crazy. And uh, just in talking about these subjects, uh, me and Stan have been attacked um, in, in a spiritual sense, in a physical sense. Um, 
we we spoke at uh, um, Oregon, hmm. and immediately after that, we came back. Um, Stan was physically attacked to where he was feeling all kinds of pain. You mean physically, like someone came up to him, or no? Just just like there was an unseen presence that that caused a pain in his back and his side uh, that was just excruciating. Um, during that same weekend, we actually had uh, five ex- or nine extended family members over two days, Saturday and Sunday, that had near head-on collisions or near intersection accidents. Nine? Nine of them. That's all, insane. All happening at the same time. Wow. So. Um, You're on to something. Yeah. So we said, <laughs> okay, you know, so we ended up having to, to smoke ourselves and. And, uh, what does that you mean? know, ask, uh, they, they Put call yourself it, in a smoker. Uh, this is a, uh, or you mean like the devil's Na- lettuce? Native Americans would do something that they call smudging. Uh, you use, uh, cedar or, uh, sweet grass, or you can use sage. And, um, what these do is, uh, they're, they're almost like an incense. Mm-hmm. Now science is just now starting to catch up and they have determined that, all these things produce smoke when they're burned, and the smoke is actually an antibacterial. Hmm. So it'll kill airborne bacteria. Um, but what you do with it is you smoke yourself. You you bring it into your, your body, your head. Uh, you ask for protection. Uh, you, you mean actually you, smoke you, it? No, no. You, 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 you burn it. You light it, and then you breathe you it. You light in. it, and then you, you just use use the smoke over your body and, and bring it on. And uh, we'll use uh, eagle feather or an eagle fan to, to you know, manipulate the smoke, uh-huh. uh, which is powerful in, in, in itself. Yeah. Um, so we've done this, you know, ever since we were small, <laughs> pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. Um, and most, most Indian tribes use this uh, to, to purify themselves or even to purify their houses. And, and get bad spirits out of the house. Wow. So, uh, you know, you, we'll take the, 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 the cedar or whatever we're using and walk through the whole house and smoke the house, and then we'll walk around the house. Or you can use uh, salt. Um, there's, there's a lot of different things that you can use, uh, arrowheads for protection. So when you guys, I mean, so when you guys are doing this, it's kind of like the TV show Supernatural. Do you have all this stuff in your trunk to like fight whatever forces we, may be coming after you? We try to carry some of it with us. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of cool. I, I have an arrowhead in my vehicle. Wow. So this is, I mean, I, I, it's, this is crazy. I mean, when, when that stuff starts to happen, you realize you're kind of on to something. You well, know? if, if uh, you could get rid of the common coal by putting a rotten tomato into the, the toe of your, of your tennis shoe. Yeah. And it worked every single time. Right. Every time you got a cold, you'd use it. Sure, yeah. So by the same token, you know, we can use that that uh, smudging mm-hmm. and smoke ourselves, and that protection happens. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's really crazy. One thing before, before we run out of time I want to ask is, it seems like, I mean, for as many stories as you're telling me about skinwalkers specifically, there must be a, a bunch of them running around the reservation or the United States. I, I don't know where where they are. 
how, I mean, how would one, I'm not looking to do this. I'm just curious. How would one go to become a skinwalker? There, I mean, obviously it's, it's taboo to talk about. You'd have to, do you seek someone out who you believe is one? How, how does that happen? You know, um, I'm not giving people, but I'm just, this is fascinating to me. It's, it's something that is so held closely, um, and not talked about that even I don't know how you would become one. It's like um, passed down generation to generation. A lot of it is passed down. A lot of it, I'm sure, is somebody coming to you and saying, you're, you're chosen. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, I picked you. Um, but the, to kill somebody in your own family that, that you are very close to. And that's required to that's kind of required, activate it. Yes, in every case. Wow. Uh, I, I wouldn't even think about it. Yeah, that's that's insane. Uh, so th- we've just literally scratched the surface of what uh, you and Stan talk about. How can people see you guys, get in touch with you guys? And I believe, Stan, would you have time to sit and talk to me about your personal experiences? So we're going to have an extra episode with Stan. We're going to talk about more. But if you want to see you guys, where do you travel? How can people get in touch with you? You guys use social media. How active are you? Well, neither Stan or myself are on social media. Uh, and unfortunately, this is from being cops. Uh, <laughs> right. You don't open yourself up to any any type of social media. Sure. <laughs> uh, although I understand today cops are all over the social media. but uh, Putting viral videos together, them dancing routines. Yeah, yeah but we're, we're kind of analog in that, in that way. <laughs> so, um, but people can contact us through... Uh, the uh, web it's not a website but we have an email mm. uh, it's paranormal rangers mm-hmm. 86515 at gmail.com you made it real easy so that's good yeah paranormal rangers that's with an s at the end not a z uh, <laughs> and then 86515 is the area code for window rock oh that makes sense okay that's easy to remember so that's the only way? I mean, you, but you guys do talks? Can, uh, we, we do do talks. Uh, we've done presentations in about uh, uh, 30 different places. Uh, we've been uh, overseas to Scotland to speak. Um, we're, we're waiting on some other ones that are still coming up. Yeah. Um, we've spoken at the International UFO Congress. Uh, we've spoken at uh, McMinimus uh, in Oregon. Uh so we've spoken at some of the big places. Yeah. But, um, you know, You're we, still hard to find. I mean, it's like you, you, you're almost like uh, it's difficult, I mean, to find you guys. We're kind of the best, the best word of mouth thing going on. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, uh, definitely. But we put on a two-hour presentation, and when we spoke in Oregon, we were the first speakers that went up on stage Yeah, uh, the first day. Uh, all the other speakers came in, and they looked at us. We were all sitting at the lunch table. And um, they said, how the heck are we supposed to follow that? Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's you tough. Know, because... Uh, we, show stealers. We, well, we put up about 200 slides uh, of photographs from the investigations we've done. Um, you could probably find one on YouTube that, to watch. Mm-hmm. And um, But other than that, uh, we're speaking in uh, Laughlin, uh, November... Third, fourth, and fifth, I believe. Um, so, so there are places that that we've that we'll go to. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I'm going to put everything I can up on the website. I would suggest if you guys want to make a living doing this. 
Get on social media. You're not a cop anymore. You should get on social media. Uh, this The stories are too great not to share. There's tons of people out there who would love to hear this stuff. Um, I, I think it's incredible. Um, John, Lute- retired Lieutenant John Redbird Dovert, thank you so much for being on the show today. You're welcome. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Nouns is a Glencoe production and is hosted and produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The show producer for this episode was Sarah Brandt. The Fascinating Nouns introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and E.A. Barrientos with music and sound design written and performed by E.A. Barrientos. If you want to go deeper into the show, I suggest going to the Fascinating Nouns webpage, fascinatingnouns.com, where you can find links to the show's Uh, All the previous shows, you can find links to the show's description, find out more about the guests, and you can even follow the show on social media. If you go to the bottom of the page, you will find links to the show's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube channels, all at the bottom of the Fascinating Nouns webpage. And if you like this show, I highly recommend my other podcast called Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies at www.fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com. One more time, fgbt.com. Com. And that is a podcast where I take fictional technology, take a team of academic experts, and we analyze how could we make this technology in real life. We cover such topics as Frankenstein's monster or Mr. Fusion from Back to the Future or even the T-1000. So check it out there. And if you like that show, it is very possible. You love everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out about all my projects. Thank you for listening. End of transmission.